Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. And, uh, but we're going to look at this great letter. It's a masterpiece letter. And um, before we move forward, I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that that name is above every name. It's above every plan of the enemy. It's above every demon and every principality. And I thank you that in that name, Lord, your covenant and your promises are yes and amen. Lord, we thank you for the work of your spirit in our midst, in our lives. I declare, Lord, in Jesus' name, your order. The order of your kingdom, that it would come on earth, it would come in our lives, it would come in this place as it is in heaven. We thank you, Jesus, that you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We ask the blood of Jesus to speak over our lives today. Speak over this church today. Better things, a greater tomorrow, a greater future in you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Make much of Jesus. Reveal Jesus. Shine the spotlight on Jesus. For this we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you have found yourself like me at times wondering if he is still. Is Jesus still? Still what, you may be thinking or asking to yourself. Is Jesus still better? Is Jesus still better than the things of the world? Is Jesus still better than other options? Is Jesus still better than all things? We live in a time where regarding leadership and leadership books and leadership technology that There is a popular word in that arena. It's called legacy. There's a lot of talk and writing about legacy. But as I think about legacy, I think about, I want my legacy. I want people that I care about that's close to me. I want their legacy. That at the end of their journey, at the end of seasons, at the end of trials, at the end of valleys and mountaintops and seasons in a life, that in the end, their legacy is that their life still proclaims and demonstrates that Jesus is still better. That's the legacy I'm talking about, that Jesus is still better. It's one thing that in the beginning to believe that Jesus is better than the world. That Jesus is better than sin. That Jesus is better than the ways of the flesh. It's another thing where after five years of walking with Jesus, you're still saying he's better. 
It's another thing after 10 years still saying Jesus is better. It's another thing where after you've been through heartache and brokenness and pain and trials and triumphs and victories that your life still shouts Jesus is better. This is what the writer of Hebrews is presenting to us in his letter. He's presenting it to those that he was writing to that those that were in the midst of seasons of life and suffering and issues, the writer of Hebrews is still exhorting believers that he's still better. I want to preach a message to you today titled, Still. Still. The writer of Hebrews is still convinced that Jesus is better. And he's seeking to remind believers. And today the Holy Spirit, through the letter of Hebrews, would still seek to remind us that Jesus is still Still better. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 1, verse 2 and 6, is saying that Jesus is better than what you like about life because he precedes all things. The writer of Hebrews says that if you're fortunate to have things currently in your life that you find joy and you find fulfillment in and you're grateful for, That even the good things that's in your life currently, the writer of Hebrews is convinced that even Jesus is still better than those things. He continues on in Hebrews 1 and verse 8, saying Jesus is better than your hero because his throne is enduring. That whoever you look up to, that whoever's been a hero to you in life or whoever you have ever admired, the writer of Hebrews still believes that Jesus is better Then all heroes. He continues on in verse 9, saying, Jesus is better than you. Jesus is better than me. Because he has loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Jesus is better than you. Because he loved righteousness at all times. All days. And he hated lawlessness. Continues on and He's making the point that Jesus is even better than your favorite minister. He's he's better than your favorite teacher on the podcast. Jesus is better than your favorite minister because he is anointed more than anyone else. Because he has loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, our God has anointed him with the oil of gladness above all humanity. He is better. Not only is Jesus better than what we like about life and better than any heroes we may have, and not only is he better than you and I today and better than our favorite ministers today, but Jesus is better than nature because he will remain unchanged, the same forever. The writer of Hebrews says that the earth and creation will be folded up like a garment, but Jesus will remain unchanged. That even if you can, with the eyes of faith or the gracious goodness of God, be able to see His glory still revealed in creation and revealed in nature, that even in the splendor of seeing His glory in nature and beautiful sceneries on the earth today, the writer of Hebrews is still convinced that Jesus is even better than nature. He's better. Why? Because He alone is the same forever. Continues on and there in chapter 1, verse 4 and 6 and 13, that 
Jesus is better than angels and even spiritual encounters. Because the entire spirit world is under his authority. Jesus is better than spiritual encounters. Jesus is better than angels. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus has been given a name better than any name of angels. I don't know what kind of spiritual encounters you've may, maybe ever had, dreams or visions or ecstasies of the Spirit, but the writer of Hebrews tells us today that Jesus is even better than that. Jesus is better than your political party and persuasion because the age to come is under His Lordship alone. In the age to come, Jesus shall reign and He alone shall be Lord. He's better than our political persuasion. Jesus is better than all the prophets. He's better than anyone who claimed to be a spiritual leader because He alone makes and brings many sons and daughters to God. He alone can make us the child of Almighty God. He alone brings people before their creator as sons and daughters. But the writer of Hebrews continues on. He says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, that Jesus is better than fear and bondage because he alone destroyed the devil who had the power of death. Jesus is better than a life of living in bondage and in fear and in oppression because he destroyed the devil who had the, the power of death. And then you... Find your way to Hebrews 3, 3 through 6. And the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is better than Moses. Because he was a son who built the house. The writer of Hebrews is seeking to get people's attention on he who is still better. In trials and suffering and difficulties. As people around them may walk away from the faith. The writer of Hebrews is presenting the Holy Spirit presents to us today that Jesus is still better. The first point I want to highlight today, number one, is Jesus is a better builder. Jesus is a better builder. In fact, in Hebrews 3 verse 1, you can follow along through verse 6. Hebrews 3 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful and all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house. Watch this. Whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. Whose house we are. He says believers are God's house. Individually, if you're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you are the temple of God. 
As a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, individually, you are God's building. You are God's temple. You are God's dwelling place. But not just individually are you God's house, but corporately, all believers make up the house of God, make up the temple of God, make up corporately God's dwelling place where God, His very presence dwells on the earth today. Whose house we are. We house the living God. Individually, corporately, as a local body of believers, we house God's spirit. But also our home is a house for God. Our home is to be a place where the kingdom of God, where the will of God, where the very manifest presence of God dwells and abides. This is why God also created marriage. That our marriages are to be the mystery of Christ and His church. A place where God dwells. Whose house we are. When you think about our life being God's house. And our community being God's house. And you think about our home. And our marriages being God's house. We need to understand that Jesus is a better builder. When it comes to our life, living out God's plan, when it comes to experiencing change in God's purpose for our life and for our marriage and for our community called dwelling place, for our home, we have to understand that Jesus is a better builder. He's better at building our life so that it brings glory and honor to God. He's better at building our marriages than you and I are at building our marriages. He's better at building a home where God's power and glory and peace and manifest presence can dwell. He's a better builder. He's still a better builder. In 2017, he's still a better builder than the common knowledge of our culture. The advance, advancement in technology, Jesus is still a better builder. Notice what he says, the writer in verse 6, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Listen, we're not called to build our life. We're not called to change ourselves. We're not called to build this church. We're not called in our own ability and wisdom to build our marriages and our home. We are not called to build. We are called to hold fast our confidence in the builder. That at all times, in all seasons, in all moments, our confidence is not to be in our ability to build and fix things, but our confidence is to be in the one who's a better builder. We're not called to build, but we're called to hold fast our rejoicing with the hope firm to the end. See, when you pick up a hammer and you try to change your marriage, and you pick up a hammer and you try to change yourself, and you pick up a hammer and you think that you can build for God a church, 
or a ministry, you are thinking that you are a better builder than Jesus. When I pick up a hammer and try to hammer things out, ultimately I'm saying, Jesus, I'm a better builder than you. See, where you find pride or where you find fear, you'll find a hammer in that area of your life. Where you find pride, self-sufficiency, self-dependence, where you find fear, you'll find that in that area you'll have a hammer trying to fix it, trying to build it, trying to change it. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand today to let go of the hammer to hold fast to the confidence that Jesus is better. That Jesus can build a better marriage than you could ever build. That Jesus could build your life and form your life into something that is better than you could ever build and form your life into. That Jesus can build a home better than you could ever build a home. Jesus is a better builder. He's a better builder of this church. He's a better builder of this movement. Jesus is better. The psalmist knew this in Psalms 127 and verse 1. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds our life, unless the Lord builds our marriages, unless the Lord builds our churches, unless the Lord builds our home, we are laboring in vain. We can let go of the hammer today so that we can hold fast to the one who's better. We can trust not in our own design and our own ability today, but we can trust in Jesus who is better. It's an exhortation to let go of the hammer so that we can hold fast to the hope firm to the end. What is our hope? Our hope is that he is going to return. He is going to return and set up the age to come, to set up his kingdom where visibly for a thousand years he reigns over the nations of the earth. And our hope is that when Jesus returns, that his kingdom is better than anything we could build in this own age. That the city, that the country, that the kingdom to come is better than any city or country or nation that can be built now. This is our hope. That Jesus is better. He's better. The writer of Hebrews says some believers started off believing that Jesus is better to build their life. Jesus is better to build their home. Jesus is better to build their career, to build their marriage. But they're being distracted. They're picking up the hammer again. They're picking up confidence, not in him being a better builder, but they're picking up confidence in themselves. That they're a better builder. This is the exhortation to answer the question in the area where things need to be built. In the area where things need to be formed. Do you still believe Jesus is better? He's better. Yes, Jesus taught us to pray for the kingdom to come now on earth as it is in heaven. But it won't fully come until he fully returns. 
This is why our heart does not get sick because our hope will not remain deferred. That it doesn't matter how dark things look around us and how the nations of this world goes, ultimately our hope will not be deferred and our heart will not get sick because Jesus will return. He will build a better country. He'll build a better world. This is our hope that what is to come is better than the harmful lusts that now are. Our confidence is that the age to come is better than the age that is. Our confidence is that the rewards of the age to come are better than the rewards of temporary lust. So Jesus is a better builder. Someone say he's a better builder. This leads us This leads us to surrender. To surrender again. See, when we surrender again, we can be filled again. We can be filled with His Spirit and His power to build what He desires to build in our life and through our life. You know, growing up, my next-door neighbor, his father built by hand in his garage racing boats, speedboats. It was unbelievable. I didn't even know at that age that you could get wood to curve. And these, these are wooden boats that then you put a, a fiberglass coating over and they're speedboats. And you better get it right because if you're going 140 on the water and you got a wrong angle on that curvature of that boat, if you've ever seen the videos, they'll lift up off that water and, and do somersaults. And I know some of you are gymnasts, but I don't, I don't ever want to do a somersault in a boat. <laughs> and you know, as often as I went in that garage and looked, he, he did several boats the years that we were neighbors. As often I went in that garage and looked at all the tools and the boat that he, he would build, listen, I never once picked up a hammer and tried to help him build that boat. You know why? Because I was very clear in that area of my life that he was a better builder. That even when it looked like there wasn't progress, even when it looked like he didn't know what he was doing, even when I had visited it and it looked like he hadn't been in the garage for months, I still knew and had an awareness that he was a better builder than me. Is this not the same when it comes to our life being the temple of God? Our marriage being a place for God to dwell and be revealed? Our home and our calling and our career? Is it not the same? That as long as we surrender and live with the awareness that he is always a better builder than us. That even when we can't sense him, even when we can't trace him, even when we can't see his footsteps in the sawdust. We trust and we acknowledge and we hold fast to the confidence that he is a better builder. Can I hear an amen? Jesus is a better builder 
This leads us to our next point, number two. Jesus is better than the temporary. The writer of Hebrews begins to talk about drift and departure. We pick it up in Hebrews 3 and verse 7. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Listen, it is our confidence and rejoicing of hope in the builder that keeps us from drift and departure. We begin to drift in our dependency. We begin to drift in our focus we begin to drift in our trusting when we are letting go of our confidence that he's a better builder. But not just a better builder, but that he also is better than temporary options, temporary fixes, temporary pleasures, temporary desires, that he is better. See, notice here, the writer of Hebrews says, today... If you hear, do not harden your hearts. He's using the illustration of the nation of Israel and God's dealing with them. And God's evaluation of the situation of his relationship with the nation of Israel that the writer of Hebrews is relaying and reminding the hearers of his day about. And now the Holy Spirit reminds us today as well through these scriptures is that they always go astray in their heart and that they have not known his ways. They're always drifting. They're always letting go of the confidence that the God that brought them out of Egypt is able to bring them into a place of rest, into a place where areas in their character, areas in their life, areas and goals that God has for them comes to completion and there's a rest there. They have a drift. This is why in Hebrews 2, 1, the writer exhorts us. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. See, listen, drift and straying sets up the possibility for departure. The departure from trusting in the living God that Jesus is better. A departure from trusting in the Lord to build our life, to build my life, to build your life. From trusting in the Lord to build our marriage, or those of us that are married, to build our home, to build His heavenly calling, His kingdom assignment, His heavenly purpose for your career and your talents and jobs. A departure from trusting 
in the ways of the Lord instead of trusting in your own ways. See, there is the will of God. There are the words of God and there is the way of God. And when we lose our confidence that Jesus is better, that His will is better, His words are better, His way is better, we drift. And as we drift, we become very vulnerable to depart from trusting, from yielding, from surrendering, from inviting the Lord to pick up the hammer and to work through us, to work in us. We depart. See, not listening to the voice from heaven makes the voice of your earthly passions seem better. When we refuse to get still before the one that we should hold fast is still better, then the voices of our fleshly passions, earthly pleasures seem better. Paul speaks about one that was a part of his ministry team who stopped listening, stopped hearing the voice from heaven. And as he stopped listening to the voice from heaven, the things of the world seemed like a better option. His name was Demas. In 2 Timothy 4, 2, he says, For Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Notice Demas. I can imagine that he started off holding fast to a confidence that not only is Jesus better, but Jesus' plan for his life was better. But who knows what began to happen, but he began to drift. He began to go astray. And as he began to drift, the world around him began to seem as a better option. And he forsook his first commitment. Loving this present world. The Apostle John is clear in 1 John 2, 12-15 that when we love the world or the things in the world, listen, it displaces our love from the Father in that area. Sort of what Pastor Craig read from the words of Jesus. We are created in areas of our heart to only be able to have first priority, first love for one thing. And Demas allowed the love for the world and the things of the world to displace a love for the Father. A love that would empower him to obey. That Jesus is better at building his life building his future, building his purpose, building his calling for him. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. I don't get excited anymore about how people start. I don't get excited anymore how zealous and passionate people are at the beginning. I get excited we're after some valleys and after some mountaintops and after some seasons and, and after some fiery trials and, and after going through some conflict, they come out still, 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 still believing, still holding fast, still confident that despite it all, Jesus is still better. What a legacy. What a legacy. 
in this world that our life still says Jesus is better. Not just better at the beginning, but better at all times. Paul said in Galatians 6 and 14, he says that when I looked at the world, I looked at what the world has to offer, and how my life could be built according to the world's ways or how the world could build me and fashion me and conform me to its potential and what it had to offer. He says, when I get out my spiritual calculator and I observe all that the world has to offer and I assign a numeric value to it and I add it up, when I computate it, when I hit the equal sign, when all that the world has to offer, when I totally hit equal of it and I give my final analysis of it, I consider it rubbish. And therefore, I have crucified the world to me. That Jesus is better. And that he can build my life better than the world. He can build my marriage better than the world says to build it. He can build my career. He can build me better. Philippians 3, he said, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That I consider knowing him. Notice that was one of the... The verdicts of God about the nation of Israel that the writer of Hebrews says. says, they have not known my ways. They're my people. I'm leading them. I have a place of promise for them. But they have not known my ways. They are trusting in their ways. Trusting in their path. Is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord still. Still better in your heart. Than just growing in the knowledge of the ways of the world around us. We have people unfortunately that have degrees. Degrees of current news but not a degree of glory. Of being conformed to Jesus. May our life, may my life, may your lives shout and proclaim that Jesus is still better. Then he says, because when there's drift, the possibility of departure, he says, least any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, sin deceives and sin hardens. But our Savior is true, and our Savior softens. Our Savior softens the clay. He gets us soft so that the better builder can build us. He gets us soft in our marriage, vulnerable in our marriage, vulnerable in our home, vulnerable in our career, vulnerable in our calling. He gets us soft. So that the better builder can build us, can work in us, can work through us. See, I remember in, uh, in high school, you know, me and my little clique, we thought we were so hard. <laughs> Everybody wants to be hard. Everybody in the world around us, people take pride in being hard. Let me tell you, God delights in us being soft. I mean, so much so that the new Hanes soft t-shirts, they can't even do a commercial 
telling men how soft the shirt is without him riding a bear. Without him busting through cylinder blocks with his head. Because he says, in order to talk about being something soft, i got to show you how hard I am. I can ride a bear. Yeah, in a studio. With the green screen behind you. The world prides being hard. God values us becoming soft. That we're not ashamed to hold fast to our confidence and hold fast to our confession that Jesus is better. He's better. He's a better builder. He's better than the temporary. Because listen, Jesus is better than temporary pleasures because he will not leave you feeling dirty. Jesus is better than temporary sins because he will never lie to you like they will. Jesus is better than temporary lust because they will leave you anxious for more where he will lead you into his rest. Jesus is better than temporary lust because they will tell you that you don't have enough where he will lead you to become content with what you do have. Jesus is better than the temporary. Listen, lust will cause covetousness. Jesus will cause contentment. Lust will cause regret. Jesus will cause rest. Lust will cause anxieties. Jesus will cause calmness. Lust will cause fears. But Jesus will cause faith. Lust will cause greater emptiness. But Jesus will cause greater fulfillment. Lust will cause greater instability. But Jesus will cause greater stability. The writer of Hebrews says that we exhort. We are to exhort one another daily. That Jesus is better. That he's better. Let me ask us this question this morning. Are you still confident that following the eternal Jesus is better than serving temporary lust? Jesus is a better builder. Jesus is better than sin and the temporary. And thirdly, Jesus is a better anchor. Hebrews 6 and verse 9, the writer of Hebrews continues on. He says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This leads me to an interesting question when I read it. Why do houses need an anchor? He just said, whose house we are. I'll tell you why. Because we are moving houses. We are living stones. We are missional buildings. We are missional temples on a mission. And we're moving on mission. And because we're moving on mission in a world that's under the sway of the evil one, we need an anchor. But we don't just need any anchor. We need a better anchor. We need a better anchor. See, in our movement, in our moving, we need to be anchored lest we drift. Lest we get lost. Least we get distracted. Least we seek to build with our own ability, our own wisdom, our own ways. And Jesus is the better anchor. Why? Because he's a forerunner. What's that mean? 
It means he already walked the path of righteousness before us. It means he already ran the race of faith before us. It means he has already entered our hope, the heavenly city, that the city whose builder and maker is God is better than any city or nation or country now. That Jesus has already entered our hope, the heavenly city. He's already entered into the very presence of Almighty God behind the heavenly veil. Jesus is a better anchor because he's already went before us. He's already paved the path. He's already made the way. I don't know what you are trying to anchor your movement in. Anchor your mission in. Anchor your marriage in. Anchor your character in. Anchor your life in. I don't know what you're trying to anchor your calling and your career in. But I want to tell you today that Jesus is a better anchor. I don't know where you're trying to anchor your victory upon or anchor your behavior and performance upon, but Jesus is still a better anchor. He is a better anchor than your sincere striving. He's a better anchor than your own personality. He's a better anchor than your accountability partner. He's a better anchor than outward rules and regulations. He's a better anchor than law living. He's a better anchor because he is also entered behind the veil of the human eye. So what do you mean? Oh, he's a better anchor because he's entered behind the veil, the veil of your flesh, the veil of your body behind the human eye. Listen, he's entered into your spirit behind where the human eye can see. And he's a better anchor because he's on the inside of you. He's on the inside of you. See, boats, when they anchor, based on the size of the boat and the mission of the boat determines the size of the anchor or how many anchors that they seek to put down. The interesting thing, though, is that the anchor for boats is outside the boat. Not that there's a big uh, career path that people are taking and stealing anchors, but if someone wanted to scuba dive down and remove the anchors, they could because it's outside the boat. Our anchor's better because it's not outside the boat. It's not external where people can lay hold of it, where people can steal our confidence in it, where people can remove it. No, no, no. Our anchor is on the inside, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, and that's why he's a better anchor for our marriages and for our life and for our career and for our church because the anchor is on the inside behind where the human eye can see and behind where the human hand can take. He's a better anchor than do and don't living. He's a better anchor than law living. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's a better anchor than what Moses in the old covenant had to offer. He's better because he lives in you. Listen, you can lie to an accountability partner, but you can't lie to him who lives in you. And I'm all for accountability partner. 
uh, partners. And I'm all for the need of some temporary anchors. But the writer of Hebrews says, listen, those outward anchors are just to be temporary. But they're to help you learn to trust in the greatest anchor, the better anchor, the anchor you can never get away from, the anchor you can never lie to, the anchor you can never run from, Christ in you. A better anchor. He sees all things. He knows all things. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. That the word of God is living and active. That there is nothing that is hidden from his sight. He's a better anchor. Why? Because he can live in your heart. He can live in your mind. He can influence your heart. He can influence your mind. Where the old covenant, the old anchors were just written upon outward stones. Outward stones. He's a better anchor, listen, because he suffered and has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The forerunner not only walked through the same earth as you and I, he not only had a human body similar to yours and mine, but he was tempted in all ways like you and I and yet without sin. He's a better anchor. To anchor your victory upon. To anchor your marriage upon. To anchor your calling upon. He's a better anchor. See, my confidence this morning is not to be in my ability not to drift. My confidence is not to be in my ability to drift. My confidence is not to be in my ability not to be deceived. My confidence is to be in my anchor. Christ who lives in me. That if I'm starting to drift, He's within me. If I'm starting to depart, He's within me. That truly now, where can I go from His presence? Because we are God's house. We're His temple. No, my confidence, our confidence, your confidence is to be that He's a better anchor. He's a stronger anchor than the greatest waves of culture around us. He's a stronger anchor than the strongest winds of air and deception around us. He's a stronger anchor than the strongest storms of circumstances in life and demons can create. We're to hold fast our confidence in Jesus, our anchor. I grew up with insecurities like many of you. Mine was rooted in rejection from an earthly father. Became an issue when I surrendered to the race that God had for me. Of how could 
I had Craig have a confidence that I wouldn't drift and wouldn't depart. I knew I was on fire then. God had spared my life. But what about five years? What about 10 years? What about 15 years? Oh, the fear and anxiety. What would keep me from drifting? What would keep me from departing? What would keep me from being deceived? Well, I tell you, there's a greater helper today. He's greater than any confidence I could ever have in myself to not drift and depart. He's a better anchor because he's on the inside of me. When he feels me drifting, he can give me a nudge. When he feels me leaning, he can give me a word. We can, he can, when he feels me swaying, he can strengthen my soul. Ha, he's a better anchor. And the perfect love of the Father allowed the perfect anchor to come and be on the inside so if there's a perfect storm of the enemy and culture around us, there's still a perfect anchor that's greater. Ha, ha. He's a better anchor. My anchor is better this morning than an outward help because he is an ever-present inward help. My anchor is better this morning than any outward help as much as I'm grateful for outward help. But see, I can dream up and imagine, unfortunately, it's one of the areas I have to really lean on the Lord and the mind. But I can dream up scenarios, scenarios that are possible for me to encounter where there are no outward help but I'm telling you his perfect love can break down the fears and the lies of the enemy even about those possible scenarios because even if I find myself there I don't find myself there without an ever present inward help he's stronger you know there's something called anchor piercings you want to be careful if you google it some weird pictures but <laughs> I'm not into piercings and, and uh, I love those who are but as you can see I, I haven't yet May, maybe five years from now who knows but there's what's called anchor piercings piercings in the body that's considered an anchor I couldn't help but think that the reason I have a better anchor today is that he was pierced for me. He was pierced for you. He was pierced for us and he was pierced for the world. And it's his shed blood that can anchor us. That's powerful enough to anchor the nations of this world. I'm telling you, we're on the cusp of this journey. Not just discipling ones and discipling tens and discipling cities and discipling regions, but to walk in his full high calling to disciple nations. See them hold fast and confess that Jesus is still better. I'm anchored today in the blood of Jesus and the piercings of the cross. Not ashamed of the cross. 
that broke the hard places of me and still breaks the hard places of me and the selfishness of my pride and makes me soft to allow my confession to become my experience is that Jesus as builder of my life and marriage and calling is better. He's a better builder. It's better than the temporary. I've reached a place in the temporary. I'm just so grateful. Of years of working through the flesh and the madness of my reaping of a life of disobedience that I sold and the effects of sin on my life. Doing all I could to not just drift, but all I could to stay afloat. There's so many areas by God's grace that I find rest in. So grateful. But the Lord challenged me. And it is true by the grace of God today. He's still better than every temporary benefit that following Him has given me up to this point in this temporary life. He's still better. He's better than the house I didn't build and the vineyards I didn't plant. He's better than the temporary favor and the temporary open doors. Jesus is still better. The fact that He's still better, it longs, it creates a longing in me to be anchored more deeply in Him. I want to tell you this morning that He's better. I want to tell you today that the power of God's Spirit wants to fill us. That He's not just better the second year of following Him and the fourth year of following Him and the fifth year and the tenth year and the fifteenth, but at the end of the days, on the end, on the last moment of our breath, that our legacy would be that Jesus is still better. Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.